Ever since you can remember, you felt something in your chest telling you to move, to love, to speak, to try. Day after day, you pretend you don't hear it calling, or maybe you dismiss it as silliness or worse. But it's there, ready for you, and it will wait for you as long as you need. My name is Johnny G, and I invite you to join me on a journey of awakening as we dare to embrace our light. This is Refractive. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Refractive. Today, I have with me Alan Questel. He's known for his clarity, creativity, and down-to-earth style of teaching. He brings a depth of understanding, humor, and gentle human perspective while creating lively conditions for learning. Alan has taught thousands of people in over 20 countries on five continents. He is the author of two books, Creating Creativity, Embodying the Creative Process, and of a more recent book, Practice Intentional Acts of Kindness and Like Yourself More. This new book takes readers through steps to broaden and sharpen their understanding of kindness. It shows ways to embrace this way of living in everyday life, and it provides the means to be kinder and generate more kindness towards not only yourself, but to others. Alan is constantly discovering how to be kinder to himself and to others. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here with you. You know, I, uh, when I was looking through some of your information and thinking about a topic for today, I really gravitated towards this idea of um, finding self-esteem, building self-esteem. And I know that this is something that's been an important part of your life and your work, and it's a major focus of how you live today. And so you just seem like the perfect guest to go there with. I'm ready for it. Great. So I wonder what has been your own journey with finding and building your self-esteem to a healthy level? Because I mean, this is something that so many of us have struggled with over our lives. Yeah, I think, well, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, I actually, because I had an idea that you might want to talk about self-esteem and I actually looked it up. And I, I, I'm just going to say it's, it's, uh, it's okay if I read it, the short definition. So self-esteem is how we value and perceive ourselves. It's based on our opinions and beliefs about ourselves, which can feel difficult to change. We might also think of this as self-confidence. Your self-esteem can affect whether you like and value yourself as a person. So I think of self-esteem along the same lines as self-image. And, and both of these are concepts, right? So the idea of a self-image or self-esteem is like, I can't hold my self-esteem in my hands. I can't hold my self-image. And so in that way, they're useful and important for us to consider, but they're also a little abstract. And what I like so much in this last part of the definition I read which resonates with my book, it can affect whether you like and value yourself as a person. So I think the idea of liking ourselves and how we can come to like ourselves more speaks directly to the sense of self-esteem. Except when I think of improving my self-esteem, 
I can go to a lot of different places, but when I think of liking myself more, it just feels a little more personal to me and, and more concrete, maybe approachable in terms of the actions that I explore in the book and hopefully can guide people to liking themselves more, which mm-hmm. definitely results in higher self-esteem for sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I like that angle on it. You know, um, in my journey, when I've kind of looked at the process of growing self-esteem, uh, I was told if you want better self-esteem, do esteemable acts. And this really, uh, I feel dovetails nicely with what you're saying about like yourself, right? Because if I do things that I find esteemable, it is easier to just like myself more. Right. And the thing that I think is is so important, so essential that you said, is that it's self-esteemable acts. That it's the actions of what we do that create self-esteem, liking ourselves more, a better self-image. And I think too often our idea of improving ourselves just floats around in our head of things where we'd like to have happen, of ways we'd like to be perceived, as opposed to what are the concrete things I can do to improve myself so that I grow in the directions that I want. I wonder, as you've done your work, where do you find people trip themselves up in improving their self-esteem? What are the obstacles or barriers that we put before ourselves? I think the first place is that when we, when we, when we try to improve almost any aspect of ourselves or look at the direction where we want to be, the place we trip ourselves up is we start looking at all the things that we don't like, all the places where I don't have self-esteem all the places where I wish I was something other than I was. And it's kind of attaching ourselves to the negative parts of ourselves that we're trying to move away from. And it's, that's a natural phenomenon, I think. If I ask, you know, whenever I teach, I ask a group of people. So part of my job is helping people like themselves more. And I ask the question, is there anyone here who doesn't want to like themselves more? And they all kind of sheepishly smile at it. And the thing is, the first thing that comes up when I explore that are all the things they don't like, we don't like about ourselves. That's the biggest trip up. And that's the place where we got to be really kind and gentle with ourselves. So like, for example, in the book, many people think, oh, I'm going to start out with all the ways I'm not kind and figure it out. No, I start out with, let's name all the places where you already are kind. Let's value the, the, the skills that we do have and to use that as a jumping board rather than trying to fix things or correct things all the time. Hmm. So I think that probably that's the biggest thing, the biggest hurdle that people have to cross. And it's something that we cross many times. Yeah. It's not like, like I, I can say quite honestly that the more that I've come to like myself more, the next level of liking myself more is almost always a bigger challenge. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I feel like we should come back there. I, I feel like there, there's, there's meat there, you know, yeah, sure. uh, and at the same time, you know, uh, I remember when 
million years ago, you know, back in the late 80s, when I was in, in uh, elementary school, we would have typing class, okay? And, uh, and I remember reading about this study that said that focusing on your strengths provides uh, incredible opportunities for growth Whereas focusing on areas where you're innately weak provides only minimal opportunities for growth. Right. And this study illustrated that people who were naturally a little bit more adept at typing, once they went through lessons, could reach speeds of 100 words a minute. Whereas people who really struggled with typing and still went through the same lessons would never get above, you know, 40 or 50 words a minute. Yeah. And so this was something that stuck with me. And I, I really, I've tried to apply it in my career. I've tried to apply it in lots of different areas. But what I'm hearing from you is this idea of let's focus. If we want to grow our self-esteem, let's focus where we're already strong and leverage those strengths because we can take quantum leaps in this area. Whereas yeah. if we're focusing only on what we lack, we maintain a smaller potential for growth in that yeah. area. Yeah, you know, two things come to mind when you describe that study. One was another study that was done with teachers and school children. And the teacher was told that this group of students who you're gonna teach, they're all a little behind and a little slow. And as the teacher taught this term for these students, they didn't develop very well. And then, Another teacher was given the same group of people and said, these are the smartest kids we have in the school. They excel. And now they all excel. So it was a question of how the teacher was approaching them that made a difference in their ability to succeed. So it's the same thing that you're talking about in terms of typing. But it makes me think of something else, which is a, a, a way that I have of growing this idea. And I talk about it in the book. And so when I was 19 years old, I moved out of my parents' house. Okay. And I decided or recognized at that point that I wasn't good at anything. Okay. I was a complete failure at 19, which is silly because at 19, how can you be a failure? You haven't done you enough anything. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I decided I was going to learn to do one thing well. And I don't know where I came up with this idea but I was quite fortunate in what I picked. I decided that I was going to learn to brush my teeth well. Okay. I, did, I was lazy about brushing my teeth. And I thought the good thing about this was if I didn't succeed at it, no one knew. Not the dentist, they already knew, right? So I would practice. And here was something I could practice two times a day for a few minutes. And see how it would develop. And sure enough, over months, it wasn't like weeks or anything, I developed the ability, the skill to brush my teeth better. And But the interesting thing was what I started to encounter were all the ways that I sabotaged myself, hmm. all the sabotaging habits that I had that prevented me from being successful. And if, of course, if I'm not successful, I have low self-esteem. But if we can start with something small like that, right? Even typing is a little bit grand mm -hmm. to learn how to do that. But if I can just 
pick up my clothes at the end of the evening and I'll put them away or do the dishes before I go to bed or just something really small that I can practice that there's no severe consequence if I don't do it well, right? And it's something that can I can measure and develop and watch it over time until I can turn back one day and go, you know, I taught myself how to do this. Yeah. It wasn't anyone else. So yeah. the typing is a great metaphor for that. I can understand. And the approach, the attitude we have towards ourselves, for sure, mm. is a big one. Yeah. You know, obviously, not everyone grows up in a kind, loving, supportive household. But there's an awful lot of kids who do grow up in a household where the parents uh, or even just the parent is yeah. focused on building the child's self-esteem and equipping the child for, for life. And yet, low self-esteem is such a broad, um, it, it's, 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 it's almost endemic in its scale. So I wonder why do you think it's such a widely experienced uh, issue when so many parents go out of their way to especially equip their children to have a strong self-esteem? Well, you know, it, it's kind of like if I look at the question of self-image, we can call it self-esteem too, I can ask when does it form? How does it form? Because a child has a self-image at a very early age. Right. And it can be both positive or negative, and it can be informed by the family around it or the teachers or the friends. But it's the friends that seem to tweak it in a negative way sometimes. It's at a point in our age where we start, I start, we start, we start comparing ourselves to others, either in terms of what they have or what they can do. And then there's the wish that I was like that. And so I'm less than another. So it's in this comparison that it really starts to shift at some point. And then I think, you know what, as, as the most wonderful parents I know and how they raise their kids, their kids still encounter this because they're in a bigger world. They're in an environment of school and education that's telling them how to do something a certain way. And But you know what, even if the parents tell us that we're great and everything, sometimes we don't believe it. You know, I was not a good student in school. I was until about second grade, and then I skipped fourth grade. So I was in the same class from third grade to the fifth grade, the same teacher. And honestly, she wasn't the kindest teacher. And my whole sense of myself became diminished. Mm -hmm. And then I got into the habit of doing less work and not liking school. But every time, and I was a, I was um, troubled too strong a word. I was a difficult child. So my parents had taken me to psychologists and psychiatrists, and they did all these tests with me and everything. And every time I would screw up in school, my mother would pull out these letters, how smart I was, how good I was. Well, that didn't help me. Someone yeah. telling me from the outside that I was something, either I didn't believe it or I thought they were lying, right? It, it was like it didn't help me. What was needed, what I didn't have then, was someone to guide me through the process, like brushing my teeth well, right? That it needed to be something concrete where I could measure and feel a sense of accomplishment in myself. Yeah. And I think that's at the essence of 
any action that we want to improve on, whether it's being kinder to others or kinder to ourselves or having higher self-esteem or liking ourselves more, that if it's not internally generated, there's always a sense of mistrust. You know, it's like, honestly, I didn't feel intelligent until I was in my 30s. And the way it happened was I was hanging out with two friends, both published authors, you know, really smart guys, and we'd spend all night talking and stuff. And then I thought, you know, these guys are really smart. Could it be that I'm, I, I kind of was embarrassed, you know, I'm not smart, you know, I mean, you know, and, and even like, I, I'm, unfortunately, my best friend just passed away and, and he was a neuroscientist. Mm -hmm. He'd written 40 books and lectured at Cambridge. I mean, he was smart, MacArthur Awards, and we would talk all the time. And, you know, one day I said to him, you think I'm smart? He goes, of course you're smart. But my internal image of myself was such that it was diminished for whatever reasons, you know, whatever history I had. The most important thing, though, is we can move beyond it, right? We don't have to get stuck there. How do we move beyond it? I mean, what, I mean, I know that you've looked at this in some depth, and I wonder what have been the tools and methods and systems that you find helpful in saying, okay, I'm coming to terms with the fact that I, I don't treat myself well. I yeah. don't look at myself through a very kind lens. Right. Uh, I don't enjoy the impact of this way that I see myself. I want, I want to change this. How do I do that? Well, the first thing is I have to share with you that when I was writing the book, when I got to the part about being kinder to ourselves, I got blocked for about five years. Wow. Yeah. And, and I thought that I was pretty kind to myself. Yeah. But as I really went deeper into it, I thought, you know, I have this image of myself as being kind to myself. But when I reflected on the, the way I acted towards myself, with myself, I wasn't that kind. And I think the first thing that comes to mind when I think about entering into this journey, this voyage, is to give ourselves a reasonable amount of time. So that, you know, sometimes I'm working with someone and I'm exploring a habit that they have. And I say, well, I'll say, how long do you think it'll take to change this habit? And sometimes they say three weeks. And I laugh. And they go, okay, six weeks. And I it's ridiculous. And I say a year and a half to two years. Yeah. And they're like, what? That's crazy. And I go, well, think about it. If you say six months and in six months you're still doing the same behaviors, you're going to feel like a failure. But if you say a year and a half and after six months you evaluate it and go, huh, I have another year to go. Okay, that gives me some time. It takes away the pressure yeah. of having to succeed in any immediate kind of way. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. The second thing, and this is true of anything, I think, is that we need to practice something. Okay. And so like I was talking about brushing our teeth. Action. This word of action it, that you referenced that's earlier. It, that's it. You know, kindness, if you look up kindness in the dictionary, it tells you all the qualities, but it doesn't tell you how to do it. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting to me. And most dictionary definitions are like that. If you look up the word to sit, it says to rest upon your buttocks or thighs. 
Well, it makes sense from the observer's point of view. But if you tell a child with cerebral palsy, rest upon your buttocks and thighs, they can't sustain that. Right. right? So it's the actions that we have to take. And as I said with brushing the teeth, it needs to be a regular action that's small. Mm-hmm. That there's no huge external success that it's based on. And most of the time, when we when we approach ourselves, we do it in, in too big a way. We try to do something that's too grand right from the beginning, instead of saying, let me start really slow. Let me see, what can I give myself? Well, I'm not talking about, I'm going to get a new car, whether I have the money or not. That's what people do. They charge everything. And then they get these things and it doesn't sustain itself because it's external. I would say one of the probably most significant ways that someone can grow themselves internally that builds into a new sense of self-esteem, a new self-image is in how you move. What do you mean by that? And how you move? Well, if you think about it, I can ask a question. So one question I like to ask people is, when in your life are you given permission to have pleasure? People name a number of things. Of course, they'll say taking walks or hiking, doing sports, playing music, having sex, um, eating, sleeping, which I don't really count because you're not doing anything or sleep, you know. So, but if you look at all the things that people value as a place where they're allowed, given permission culturally to sense pleasure, You'd be lucky if it added up to three or four hours a day. Hmm. What do you do in the other 20, 21 hours? Yeah. Right? You're going through your life. But now, if you consider moving in a way that you like the way it feels. Yeah. And again, I'm not talking about all the time. I'm talking about I'm at my computer doing something and I'm going to go get a cup of tea or a cup of coffee that I'm going to move in a way that I like the way it feels. I'm not talking about like dancing my way to the kitchen or anything. I'm talking about how can I just listen to the quality of what I feel for a short period of time? And maybe I do it on the way back. I can't do it all the time. Mm -hmm. And it leads to another question, which is, if I ask people, when do you decide to get comfortable? I'll ask you, when do you decide to get comfortable? When I'm uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. Now, that's right. And that's the the basic answer. Now, if you think about that, and that's a crazy criteria. Yeah. That means I have to be uncomfortable before I get comfortable. Yeah. How do we come to that? You know, if you look at a child drawing, a child is here and then they're there and they're here and they're there and they get up and they never (laughs) get up. They never sit up and go, oh, mommy, I have a stiff hip. Why? Because they're regulating themselves through their comfort continually. Wow. That's now, a great point. You lose that by what? By wearing certain clothes. Don't mess up your hair. Sit still in school. All these things, which we need to be able to control and contain ourselves to a certain degree. But what it ends up in is we ignore ourselves. Yes. Some people don't get comfortable until they're in pain. Right. And they're suffering. Right. And so if we could practice getting comfortable, like if, I'm, if I ask myself, that, look, we can put a timer on my computer, on my phone, and just every hour it dings, and I go, am I comfortable? No. Huh, that's better, right? Or 
thing? Am I comfortable? Yeah. Could I be more comfortable? Yeah, I could, right? So that we start using our sensory world as the doorway to appreciating ourselves, to taking care of ourselves, to not going too long at something or, or ignoring ourselves past the point where now I'm in trouble and I have to see someone for help because of that. So I think that these are some of the things that we can do on an everyday way. Or I, I can give you another example is, um, you know, most of us in a relationship, whether we're aware of it or not, we often have desires of what we wished or hoped the other person would do for us. You know, I wish my partner, I wish he'd wake up in the morning and make me a tea first, you know. And, and then what, if I don't say anything about it, I end up feeling resentful about something she doesn't even know that I'm upset about, which is what we all do. It's kind of waiting too long for something. But we can flip that and say, well, wait a minute. I want someone to make a cup of tea for me. What if I make a cup of tea for myself? What if I do for myself what I would hope others do for me? And maybe while I'm doing that, maybe I'll make them a cup of tea. Surprise them, right? So it's taking the responsibility for what we want to have happen in our lives and generate it ourselves as opposed to waiting for another. Now, it's also okay to say to the other, I would love if you did this for me. And if the other cares about me, they'd say, I would love to do that for you. And then it's a symbiotic relationship that feeds each other really well. But if the other person, just their nature isn't to do something like that, then I need to learn to do it for myself. And that's taking care of myself. And it's not easy because many people I know who are really kind people are really good at being kind to others, but not to themselves. Like me getting blocked in my book. Yes, you know, I, I'm really touched by by some of your examples. You mentioned, listen to how your body is feeling and move in a way that feels good. Uh, you know, it just comes down to then being present, being intentional. Yes. And, right. you know, this is, this is so key. This is so key. I love that you referenced, you know, watch a kid who's drawing and see how they just they're constantly like gently moving their body this way and that because they're they're fully present. They're fully present. And I always look at um, puppies as role models for me because <laughs> puppies, they are always present. They right. do what feels right in yeah. the moment. Uh, and it's like, wow, could I just could I just aim to be present a fraction of the time and, right. and, and, and see what a difference it would make? It's, yeah. it's beautiful, this idea of doing that. And it is, as you say it, it's like such a kindness to yourself to just say, how am I feeling right now? Right. You know, yeah. how am I feeling? Right. I love that. I love yeah. that. And even to go more literal in what you were saying, when you said move in a way that feels good, for me, for example, I will, I'll go to dancing. Dancing is something that I have always uh, wanted to enjoy. And I've always felt so limited by how much I'll allow myself to enjoy it yeah. for fear of being ridiculed or right. for looking foolish. Right. And, you know, I, I, I can even, uh, I was at a, I was at a, 
uh, uh, I was at a, a, a bar event just earlier this week and they were playing a bunch of like very popular clips and music videos and things and everyone around is singing. Mm-hmm. Like they're just like lost in the joy of the moment singing um, and I was not. And someone mm-hmm. says, wow, you don't really sing very much. Uh-huh. And, it, and I said, you know, you're right. And I'm thinking, why don't I sing? It would be so nice to sing with this group of 150 strangers who are lost in the joy of the moment. And I am not. Do you know something? That, that moment of, I wish I could sing. I think what we're looking for is a feeling that it's okay to sing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I think it's a bit of a mistake that we all make. I'm going to wait to feel a certain way before I sing, before I dance. And the thing is, it's only through singing badly and dancing badly and people teasing me about it and me continuing to do it and making mistakes that I practice it enough that one day I go, I'm actually enjoying myself singing, you know? I, you know, I had a training program in, in Colombia, and, uh, you know, in Colombia, salsa is like the national sport, right? And uh, I think it transcends football even. So um, I took some lessons, and I'm a pretty good dancer. Uh-huh. And then I went to, to a salsa club thinking, I'll just watch people, I'm good at that, and imitate them. Well, everybody was doing something different. There's so many variations in salsa, just in Colombia. Forget about Cuban salsa and other countries too. And it was like, it took me years to learn how to do it. But I kept at it. I yeah. kept doing it, you know, and I kept like that kid who's drawing, they're not afraid of making a mistake. We're afraid of making mistakes. We want to what I you know what I call this? The adult dilemma. Hmm. The adult dilemma is that as adults, we think we should be good at something before we've ever done it. Yeah, yeah. And it's like we trap ourselves and just inhibit ourselves then instead of saying, oh, what's the worst that's going to happen here? I'm going to go out there and try it. See, yeah. I'd like to hear you sing right now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not gonna <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, folks, the standards. <laughs> That's good. I love it. You know, um, there there was, uh, you know, as many people have, I I, I have my own battles with with low self esteem, and um, there was a point in my life, maybe back in two thousand sixteen or or so, where I, when I would look at myself in a mirror, my inner monologue would be so aggressive and hateful towards myself. Like the actual words that would come, it was like there was a person in my head speaking, saying, lower your eyes. Who do you think you are to look at, like drop your eyes. You know, like that's what it would be like when I would look at myself in the eyes. And and I told someone who was a mentor of mine at the time uh, what was happening. And the mentor said, what if you just didn't allow those thoughts to finish? Mm. What would happen if you just cut that speech to yourself off? 
right. just not going to do it. I'm just not going to go there. I'm not going to entertain it. Right. And I was like, I'm not proactively thinking that like, it's just happening. And she said, we'll just try right next time it starts, just nip it in the bud and saying, we're not going to say those things. Yeah. And I'm telling you within like six months, it stopped. It stopped. I no longer had to control it just by applying the intention of not speaking to myself that way. My psyche developed the ability to not speak to myself that way. Yeah. You know? And it, it just, it, it, that came to my mind as you were talking about just this idea of by uh, you know, feeling follows action that by, by proactively addressing the cause of my negative feelings, I can cultivate positive feelings. Right. That seems to be your lesson. And I think that what you said, feelings follow action. The, the trick in that is it may not be immediate. Like you talked about six months. But feelings will follow the action. We have to get used to it, right? How many people start a new job and feel like a charlatan? Mm -hmm. Until they've done it, like you graduate school, right? You, whatever you've studied. Like I studied acting. I was an actor. But did I feel like an actor? No, I had to act quite a bit. I had to do the action of acting before I felt, oh, I'm starting to be able to do this. I think I can do something like this. You know, the place you never want to be is in the coffee break room of new doctors. Because <laughs> they're like, oh, my God, I thought the guy was going to die right in front of me, right? You know, they're oh freaking out. Because they haven't learned to do it, practice it enough to feel confident in what they're doing. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, there, there's two things that, that come to mind for me when you say this. One is, we have to, be, and this I don't have an answer for yet. We have to be able to catch ourselves doing this negative thing. Because what happens is the negative thing just takes over and just keeps wearing us down. And we don't even know that we're doing that to ourselves. So I can go tell you a story. So I was coming back from a trip from Europe. And I've been working there for about a month. And I was pretty tired. And I'm on the plane. And in a week and a half, I had to go somewhere else. And I started thinking about all the things that I had to do, all the preparation. And I started to get completely overwhelmed. And I caught it. That was the magic moment. I caught it. And in the moment, I asked myself this question. Is this a good time to be thinking about this? And the answer was, no. It's a terrible time. You're tired. You have no materials. You're on a plane. You can't do anything about it. Let it go. And I kind of like, oh, I felt so relieved for about an hour. And then the noise in my head started gearing up again. And, da, 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 and I caught it again. Is this a good time to be thinking about this? No. And what I've discovered since then is every time I ask that question, is this a good time to be thinking about this? The answer is always no. Wow. Always, always. And I, I have other mantras that I talk about in the book too, like, if I'm ruminating about something, which is looping and looping and looping, where I'm not tired or on a plane or anything like that, if I catch it, I can go, oh, I'm driving around in a bad neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I need to get out of here. Mm -hmm. So it's just like your idea of cutting your thoughts, like, I'm not going to listen to this voice. 
right? It takes practice. And it doesn't mean that we don't regress and fall into it again. But maybe when we fall back into it, we don't linger there as long. Yeah. We can move out of it more. Because most of these internal conversations, whether it's in front of a mirror or looking down or anything like this, they're not action-oriented. They're conversationally oriented in a negative way. Yeah. And it's like, how do we move out of that? That's, that's the work on ourselves, really, to, to, to grow ourselves is to be able to go, oh, I'm doing that again. I don't need to do that. Yeah. So I want to recap some of the some of the main things we talked about today as we kind of get to the final part of our of our podcast. You know, uh-huh. you, you talked early on in the episode about um you talked about the importance of um leaning into your positive qualities rather than focusing or dwelling on your negative qualities. And this is this was not, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, in a sense of denying our weaknesses or things like that, but it was really just meant on saying, I want to pour strength into my strengths right now. Right. Is, did I catch that correctly? You did. And But you know, what, what I know when, when I talk about this kind of thing with lots of people, they feel like, well, this positive perspective is just too hard to maintain. Right. It's like, yeah, I, I know I'm good at this, but there's always that but in there. And that's where we need to return to something that's actionable on a regular basis. That's small that I can practice, mm-hmm. get better right, and do something. Yeah. So I agree with you 100 percent. Yeah. OK. All right. And then uh, one of the other points that we talked about was that. Um, we talked about the idea of uh, feelings following action. And so that if I want to see this result of growing a positive self-esteem, it requires me to uh, move proactively in that way. Right. Yeah, that it's an action. I, I talk about kindness as an action, not as a quality, something that we do practice in a certain way. And, that, and I want to be clear too that the idea of acting in a different way in the beginning may be quite uncomfortable. It feels awkward, yeah. It feels awkward. It's not me. I don't know myself this way. So we have to keep, not to ignore those feelings, but to be differentiated from them, to say, I feel insecure. I feel like a charlatan. I feel not positive, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Until, yeah. like you said, until the feeling does follow the action at some point. You know? you know, it makes me think of people who've like, let's say lost their arms or lost use of their arms and they learn to write or paint with their feet, you know? Right. Imagine the awkwardness of that for how many months before it oh, becomes years. actual skill? Years, years right? Yeah, before yeah. you can actually count on that as, right. a, as a capacity. Yeah, yeah. All you need is a paper cut to realize you can't <laughs> put your hand in your pocket. <laughs> So I got to get function. my wallet back. I can't function. <laughs> yes, yes. It's true. We find out that. So then it becomes a question of adaptability. How adaptable are we? How do we figure things out? You know? Yeah. yeah. You know, one thing I, I wanted to mention, which is um, this idea of liking ourselves more, which, which came to me many years ago uh, around a, a workshop I was developing on self-image. And I thought our self-image is a reflection of how much we like ourselves, we don't like ourselves. And I followed that into the idea of 
this is what I help people do, like themselves more. And one of the key ways, as I described earlier, is by moving in a way that you like the way it feels. It's something that's actionable like that. And I always thought, well, this is an intrapersonal process, one within myself. How do I extend it into the world? And it kind of happened by accident where I did some kind act towards someone and immediately I felt better. I liked myself more. Yeah. And I thought, that's the loop that we need to, the connection we need to have. And it's not to, I'm going to do a lot of kind acts so I like myself more. It's more like, when I do something kind, I feel better about myself. My self-esteem changes yeah. when I do something like that. Yes. And so this is something that the they feed each other. If I like myself more, I can act more kindly towards others. If I'm more kind towards others, I feel better towards myself as well. Right. Service. You need patience to grow it over time. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know what? I, I'm not at the place where I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm still learning to like myself. I'm still learning to be kinder. And as I mentioned in the beginning, the the next level of challenge to be kinder, to like myself more, is always a bigger step. Yeah. Yeah. So, then uh, I think the last topic that I uh, wanted to recap was this idea of get present, right? Feel, uh, feel, pay attention to what's happening, uh, to what's going on, and that it's through this presence that you can unlock the power of choice in the moment of yeah. what's right to do, what feels healthy to do. Um, and did I get that right? Uh, yeah, you know, oh, I, th- I think I so. But then it begs the next question, which is, how do I get present? Hmm. Right? Oh, I have another episode on that. <laughs> okay. Okay. We can talk about that because in, in, my, in, in my earlier book on creativity, I talk about presence. Yeah. And one of the ways that I would see someone like an actor or dancer being present is when they're more comfortable with themselves in front of others. Hmm. And I'm not, so, so it, it's a sensory state, this idea of comfort. That the idea of being more present, and that's the amazing thing about moving in a way that I like the way it feels, is that it's immediate and it's concrete. Mm-hmm. I can feel when it's not working, and I can go, it's not working. I have to change something. Yeah. What do I need to do? Because if I leave it to my thoughts and feelings, that can take a long time. That can hey. take quite a while. Leveraging your body as a tool in that way. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, Alan, so obviously, if your message is resonating with listeners, they can uh, access the book and learn a lot more of information. And so the book is Practice Intentional Acts of Kindness and Like Yourself More. What are some other ways that listeners might be able to engage with you if they like what you offer and want to uh, want to take it to the next level? Right. Well, I have a website for the book. It's called practicing-kindness.com. And the sample worksheets there and information about the book. And the book is available as a paperback, as a, I, I don't like to call it a Kindle. I like to call it a Kindle. A Kindle. Yes. Very on brand for you. I like that. <laughs> and also as an audio book. And um, I think there's a lot of information there. And then I, I'm on the web a lot. So, so if you just Google my name, you'll find my other websites and things like that. And if you ever do find like some of my websites, my email or something, if you email me and you don't hear back from me like in three days, I didn't get it. So I answer all my own emails and I'm fast a little bit too. 
okay? And I love to have connection with people and have questions that they have or experiences that they have and things like that. Yeah. So yeah, I'm 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 easily I'm easily found. I think. Yeah. Good. All right. And so it's Alan with one L A L A N and Questel Q U E S T E L. That's right. All right. Yes. Perfect. Alan, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's thank really you so much. Very warm conversation. I really enjoyed talking with you a lot. Thanks a yeah. lot. Same here. I appreciate it. Everyone, as always, I have so much gratitude for you tuning in, listening to another episode of Refractive and. As you go out into the world, remember to aim your light. Take care. You've been listening to Refractive Podcast, and this is Johnny G. If you found today's content uplifting, if you think it might make somebody's day better, give it a share on social media, click like, subscribe. All those things help to expand this podcast availability to new audiences. I'm a speaker, a coach, and a facilitator based out of Washington, D.C., but I travel a lot. If you think I can be of service to you or to your organization, help people get unstuck or move into their authentic power, shoot me an email. My email address is refractivepodcast at gmail.com. Take care. Thanks for listening and aim your light.